Hey, this is Seath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 57. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast where I interview nomadic entrepreneurs who are running a business while traveling full-time. I'm recording today from Charleston, South Carolina. We are pretty much in a new destination every time I'm talking to you guys now. Uh, We are hanging out the KOA here just 140 steps away from the beach, which is awesome. We went for a bike ride this morning and just dipped our toes into the Atlantic Ocean. And really, this is why we started traveling, so we can wake up in different places from time to time and just experience beautiful places. Our friends Kaylee and Josh, who are being featured on an upcoming episode, told us about this place. And since we couldn't find any availability in Charleston, where we made plans to go to, uh, we decided to make last-minute plans and come to Myrtle Beach instead. It's not a bad trade-off at all. Really, there's there's no trade-off. We are near, near the beach. There's nothing bad about that. <laughs> Today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Joe Hendricks, who spoke at the RV Entrepreneur Summit. He's an award-winning photographer who has been RVing with his wife, Rhonda, and his son, Austin, for over a year. While on the road, he has sold photos to Airstream, been featured on the cover of numerous wedding magazines, and worked on his growing landscape photography portfolio. A few things that we talk about on this episode is how to build relationships and sell your photography to big brands, using Instagram to network with other travelers and businesses, why you should have an emergency fund before you hit the road, and what are the best-selling types of photography? We'll also get into some of the nuts and bolts of what equipment Joe uses while he's on the road, how he secures that, and just some different tactics for beginners on how to take great photos while you're traveling. Before diving into today's episode, I want to thank today's sponsor, WeBoost, and the new 4GX RV cell phone booster. The cell phone booster is something I wish we would have picked up the day we bought our RV. I can't tell you how many times over the past three years we were in beautiful places outside of national or state parks, but we had to leave early because there was only one to two bars of Verizon and we couldn't get any work done or our internet wasn't fast enough to record a podcast over Skype or upload a video to a client, whatever we needed to do that day. The 4GX RV cell phone booster can take that signal, multiply it up to 32X, and then rebroadcast it throughout the entire RV to give us a significant boost in internet speed. This means more time in beautiful places and faster internet wherever we go. WeBoost's new cell phone booster is made specifically for RVs, and because I asked them really nicely, they are giving 10 listeners, well, the first 10 people who reach out to me after this episode airs, a 10% discount on their cell phone booster, which is a significant amount. To claim that 10% discount, just send me an email, heath at campgroundbooking.com, and I will hook you up with a unique discount code. Those are for the first 10 people that reach out. Go to WeBoost.com to learn more about their cell phone boosters, and without further ado, let's jump into today's show with Joe Hendricks. Joe, what's up, man? Thanks for being on the podcast with me. Hey, thanks for having me, buddy. It's really fun to interview you. I'm, I'm glad we waited till now uh, because we've gotten to hang out for several days while at the RV Entrepreneur Summit. And I feel like I know you pretty well now because we've gotten to spend some time together. I watch you shake your butt in front of a campfire, and <laughs> we've had some good times. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember exactly what song was going on at this point, but just to set the Friends stage for no anyone places. listening, um, what was it? Friends in Low Places. Yeah, okay, Friends in Low Places. And, uh, oh, yeah, there's a, there's a part that said, uh, you can kiss my ass. And so right. that was, a, and you were singing the solo at this point. So to set the stage for anyone listening, this was the last night of the RV Entrepreneur Summit. And, you know, it's been a long weekend. We've had a lot of fun, met a lot of new friends. And there was a bonfire happening at uh, RV Wanderlust rig 
which is Eric and Brittany Highland. And um, there end up being like 30 something people over there. We had a guitar and Joe just breaks out in Garth Brooks. And it was probably the most entertaining part of the weekend. I don't want to say the most entertaining part, but it was definitely one of the highlights. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind if you forgot that part sometimes. Yeah, I won't because uh, we got it on film, so. Oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm pumped to dive in your story, man, because you have been uh, doing a lot of cool things in the past year. And let's just start at the beginning. Uh, First of all, how long exactly have you guys been out on the road in your Airstream? We have been out for about 15 months now. And before that, you were in Nashville doing wedding photography. You had built up a really awesome business, uh, doing really well. And, you know, you've been featured. I'm sure you were booked out for a long periods of time. So what was, you know, what was the whole drive to pick up and go live in an Airstream and go travel the country when you already kind of had this really solid business and home base? Yeah, man, it was a little scary at first. Um, we went out on a road trip in a minivan out west and saw Grand Canyon and Yosemite and Antelope Canyon and all these amazing places. And how could you not fall in love with that? And any photographer um, probably who's listening to this can attest that they go out west to kind of rejuvenate themselves. As a wedding photographer, you need breaks. You need creative uh, switch in direction to get you into um, um, to get you ready for the wedding season. And just doing weddings all the time kind of wears you down. And out west is where people go to get rejuvenated. So that's what I did. And I saw my wife come alive. I saw my kid have so much fun. And I kind of thought to myself, like, how could I do this all the time to where I could see that joy in their life? And um, when I got back, I started doing some research, and I, uh, I heard about people traveling full time, and I found what was an Airstream. I had no idea what it was when I first started looking. You had never seen an Airstream before? I had never seen one before. Really? No. That's that's kind yeah. of mind-blowing. I've, I, I guess I never really thought about it, but I, I thought I'd seen, like, the Twinkie commercials when I was little and you know, the guy or something, I don't remember what it was, but they would see this giant Twinkie and then they got up close and saw it was like an Airstream. You never saw those? Yeah. No, I, well, you know, I may have saw it, but it never clicked. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. It's just anyway. like when you buy a new car, you know, you never see it until you totally. buy it and yeah. then it's where, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how it started. And, uh, just convinced my wife to do it and, uh, convinced my mother-in-law to do it also. And, uh, we hit the road. So there was no reservations about, you know, because, I mean, I'm assuming most of your business, your wedding photography business was in person at that point, right? It was in person. And uh, I, I told everybody what I was going to do before I was doing it, especially the clients that I had already booked. And um, I explained to them how I'd be back in plenty of time and everything. And everybody was comfortable with it. I didn't have anybody... Um, you know, say, hey, we're not going to hire you anymore. Uh, so we just went along with it, and I flew back for all my weddings. It was – it's interesting, though, because as soon as you leave full-time on the road, as a photographer, you lose a lot of clients. And it's not – I didn't lose them because, you know, the photography was bad or anything. I mean, like, I, I've always done a great job, and I've always been very thorough and fast with my processing yeah, I get hired over and over, but when you leave full time on the road, people think you're gone forever. And it's <laughs> it's really hard to convince them that you're coming back or you can be back. Yeah. It's like I'm just a two hour 
plane ride away, but you're posting all these amazing photos, which, I mean, you want people to see. You're posting them on Instagram and things like that, and they just think, oh, Joe's gone. He's living in the forest. Yeah, Joe's in Utah now. It's like, why would I hire him? Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy because I actually just booked another wedding, you know, just three, four days ago. So, I mean, I'm still booking them. It's just not as frequently as I was before. Yeah, so I, I know because we've had a couple conversations before. So part of the goal with you guys hitting the road was that you wanted to hone your craft of landscape photography, right? Yeah. I, I've always thought that uh, wedding photographers don't retire. They just become landscape <laughs> photographers. And, I mean, it's true. I mean, like you get old. You don't want to be chasing <laughs> all these young people in love who have so much energy. You, you go chase you like kind of Buffalo like, in front of the Tetons. That's right. Yeah. And run away from them. And <laughs> I mean, if you're going to die, it might as well be head on with a buffalo, right? Yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> so that was so that was the big goal. Um, and did you guys have a time frame for how long you were going to spend on the road? What did that look like? Uh, we had made a time frame of a year, one year. Yeah. And can you talk about uh, I forget the name of it, but mom's mom sees America over <laughs> Yeah, it was yeah, Showing Mom America. <laughs> Wait, what so, was it again? Showing Mom America. Yeah, can you talk about that? And so I, I briefly like mentioned in my answer before that I brought my mother-in-law. And to, to expand on that, um, you know, we were taking care of Rhonda's mom in Nashville, and she was living with us. Uh, we took her out of assisted living so that she could be with us and have more freedom. Well, I had come up with this idea to – travel full-time in the Airstream, and the only way it was going to work is if we brought my mother-in-law with me. And she's 68. She was 68 at the time. Uh, She had glioblastoma cancer, and uh, she is less than 1% who has survived it. So I always was kind of bummed a little bit that she never really told her story to other people. So I kind of took it upon myself and said, well, if you're not going to tell your story about how you survived this really rare brain cancer that no one else survives. Well, I'm going to tell it for you. And that's how Showing Mom America was born. I convinced her to travel with us in the Airstream around America. And the whole point was, you know, I was going to show her things she had never seen before in her life. I wanted to take it on. And she even told me one time, you know, Joe, I know I'm a burden. I said, yeah, yeah, you're a burden, but you're a burden I want to take on. And it's like, and we want to care for you, and we want to do this for you. So we were willing 100% to make it work. And the way that I saw it was, well, I was going to try to make it into like a money-making thing also so it could provide for our family. And I was going to make her so famous <laughs> that every time we pulled into a KOA or a Jellystone or something like that, all these old people would come up and say, oh, my gosh, you're Miss Kitty. I've, I've seen you <laughs> on the Today Show. You know, and I had it lined up to where she was going to be on the cover of Prayed Magazine for Mother's Day. You know, so, like, I was ambitious about the whole project. And, um, I mean, it, it started out so good. And I say started out so good. Do you want me to keep continuing about the story? Yeah. <laughs> so... And so I, I go into the sixth day of it, and I know you've heard this before, but everybody else who's listening hasn't. And on the sixth day, I was just getting a bad feeling. She wanted to take a long shower, and I had to explain to her, you can't take long showers in airstreams because we only have so much hot water. And she was a little upset about it. 
And um, I ended up calling my dad that night, and it was one of those conversations with him I'll, I'll never forget because I started crying on the phone, and I was like, Dad, I sold everything. Like, I hit the road with her. We're supposed to be on the cover of Prey magazine. I don't know what I'm going to do. I think she's going to back out, um, and I'm just – I'm scared. And, you know, he just kind of told me that, you know, hey, just stick with it. Take it day by day. See what happens. My next phone call was to the – girl who was writing the story for parade magazine um and uh i called her up and i said like there's a very good possibility that this may not happen she's like joe this doesn't happen (laughs) you need to let me know right away and i said okay (laughs) i'll let you know right away um the next day we we made it through that night (laughs) the next day we go to a florida state park and we get into another argument, and it's not like you know we're yelling at each other. Argument. It's more of a kitty. You can't do this. You can't make coffee. Can't because we don't have electricity. We're in the middle of a state park, and she said, "Well, I, I didn't know I was gonna be in places like this when you put all this <laughs> together." I was like, "Well, this is part of. It. I mean, it's gonna get better, but you know, right now we're in this place where it's not that good, but it will get better." She's like, well, I can't even take a shower. I can't do this. So to take a break from it all, I said, I'm going to go outside and set up my hammock. So I'm outside <laughs> setting up my hammock, uh, just enjoying myself. Nice, quiet day. And all of a sudden, I hear the, the airstream slam wide open. The door hits so hard, it makes like this echoing in the place we're at. And all I hear her say is, I'm in hell. <laughs> as loud as she can say it. And I was like, oh, gosh, Kitty, what's wrong now? And she said, I hate not having been being able to do the water. I hate not having coffee whenever I want it. I hate not being able to use a hair dryer. Take me to my friend in Tallahassee and drop me off. I'm done with this. And uh, I literally went, okay, we will do that. Because I had actually already talked to Rhonda about it. And I, I said, you know, there's a possibility that this may not work. And man, those were some hard conversations. And um, anyways, uh, we ended up driving to Tallahassee. Her friend agreed to have her live with her for the rest of the year, which was pretty amazing. And then we ended up living in a 30-foot bunk Airstream all by (laughs) ourselves, me, Rhonda, and Austin. And uh, it gave us a lot more. It felt like we were living in a mansion all of a sudden. It was crazy. But uh yeah, that's how it started out, and then that was that was seven days into it. So the rest of the whole year was just me focusing on doing photography. I feel like it's so symbolic of so many people who I've talked to. I mean, obviously not their mother-in-law slamming the door saying that she's in hell, but you know the the thought of you know you're gonna get on the road and it's gonna be this surreal and amazing experience. And there's totally those components to it too, but. Then there's also the, you know, the like nine days into our trip where we break down in the middle of nowhere, Arizona, and we've got to stay the night on this road, you know, all the, you know, totally not what you're expecting. So after, so after your mom, uh, your mother-in-law leaves, you refocus your attention. And so you guys hit the road. Where's the first place that you guys went after that? Well, after that, we went down uh, the coast of Florida on the East coast and uh, we ended up going out to Key West, um, we we stayed at uh, oh, we, we stayed right on the beach in one of the state parks there because there was a cancellation at the last second for four days, so we actually had 
some pretty good weather, some sunshine, you know, kind of, we, we didn't shove it in her face, but we kind of <laughs> gave her a couple phone calls saying, hey, we're on the beach in Key West. <laughs> you know, sorry you backed out kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So we talk, I mean, you and I have had quite a bit of conversations getting into some of the photography elements. So how has yeah. how has your transition been into doing more landscape photography? So you have this base of business back in Nashville. Uh, you know you're flying back to do weddings and things like that throughout the year. How did you how have you went about going up building up this landscape photography business? And was the idea to kind of keep the base of income coming in from weddings and slowly start to be able to sell some of these projects? Did you want to add on clients? Like what did that you know what did that kind of strategy I guess look like for you? So the only strategy that I really had was I'm going to keep on my wedding clients and when I go back maybe to a couple families and all that stuff and that'll provide the income for us to keep traveling around America in this airstream. Um, along the way, I would build up my landscape photography portfolio. It wasn't going to be a means of permanent income and I fully understood that it would be know four to six seven years before landscapes could completely provide for my family um and you, you have to be real, realistic about those goals when you hit the road and i knew that weddings would be in my life for another two or three years but the shock that i found was as soon as i left like i said before you know people st- people started to think that i was gone so i wasn't getting hired as much and when you're doing weddings, it's face-to-face with planners and people who do food and event coordinators and all this stuff. So if you're not there face-to-face to talk to those people, uh, you know, it's just whoever's first of mind is going to get the booking. And I used to use this example of I had this great DJ friend who did really good. He was kind of behind the scenes, but he played good songs. And when it came time to refer him, I never, ever referred him. And I didn't refer him because this other guy who was also very talented was always reaching out to me, always saying hi, always like kind of like around all the time. And so whenever somebody asked me for a DJ, he was the first person I thought of. Mm. So it's the same situation. I'm not in Nashville anymore. I'm not having beer with all my photographer friends. I'm not going out with the coordinators and saying hi. So they're seeing me on Instagram and that's basically the only communication that we have besides the emails that we send to them and say hi, but it's not face to face and that goes a long way. So, I mean, did you guys kind of hit a point in this past year where you're like, Oh crap, you know, we have to figure something else out. Or I know there was at one point, uh, you guys had a breakdown in California and I (laughs) like that was unexpected and you, what happened there? Well, what happened there is, it was going to cost us so much money that I took it upon myself to reach out to Airstream. And, you know, I actually called them up and I said, look, guys, I don't know if you know who I am, but I, uh, I'm a photographer who's traveling full time in Airstream and I take pictures of Airstreams all the time <laughs> and I need to get back on the road. Some amazing photos of Airstreams. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and they said they, they did know me, luckily, <laughs> Because if they didn't, that would have been an awkward conversation. And I mean, I mean, so how would you went about getting their attention during that time? Had you just been, how long had you guys been on the road at this point? So at the time that we broke down, and when I say broke down, I mean, we had to get our Airstream completely gutted out and replaced. Uh, the floor had to be replaced. So we had been on the road for about four, four and a half months. 
all that time leading up to there, I'd been taking so many pictures of the Airstream in beautiful landscape situations, and I would tag Airstream. I would um, hashtag all the different Airstream hashtags, like Airstream Life, Airstream Attic, Airstream Dreams. There, there's a ton of them. And um, I would tag them on all of them, and they would ask me to use the pictures for social media. And, of course, I, I would allow them. And uh, that's kind of how they got to know me, um, just me being proactive on you know, getting the pictures out there and putting the right tags on them. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how I can't even begin to think about how many relationships I've had, and almost all of them. Uh, with clients and things like that have started taking place over like Instagram Messenger or Twitter Messenger okay. or Facebook. You know, it's not even, you know, very rarely will I get like a work with me type of email. Most of the time it's like uh, somebody reaching out and they're not asking to use my photos because I'm not a, a Joe Hendricks photographer, but it's crazy how many of these situations start out like so uh, nonchalant and then they turn into, you know, an additional phone call conversation and eventually, you know, like a client. You sold – how many – sold 12 photos to Airstream? Uh, yeah. I, I, no, I had sold 10 photos to them and uh, it was enough to cover a couple weddings. And it's it was really nice to be able to get that income because I wasn't booking as many weddings. But you're right. Like everybody you meet on the road, they're your Insta friends and uh, – <laughs> You know, and it's kind of cool because, you know, you're living the same life as some of these other people you're following, other Airstreamers and other full-timers, and you see their locations and where they are, and you say, hey, you're only 500 miles away from me, dude. Would you like to meet up? And uh, you'd be amazed at how we just start going toward each other's direction. I mean, obviously, you and Alyssa know that, but you see somebody that you really like and you you like their Instagram feed and you go out of your way to, to meet them. It's fun. Yeah, I love that. Was there at any point during that year when you guys were on the road where you thought like you were unsure of whether or not you all were going to like be able to financially make it or was that never a concern? Dude, I'm always concerned. I'm concerned right <laughs> now if I'm going to be able to make it. I mean, it, it's crazy. You know, I, I'm a firm believer in my faith in God and, <laughs> you know, I know that I have to put in the work make stuff happen but i know that if it's supposed to happen that he will provide for me and it it's amazing how we'll get down to just you know a couple thousand in our bank account and while most people are freaking out you know i just i know that things will work out and uh it's it's ridiculous uh just like recently i mean we had three or four jobs that came at the last second uh providing thousands of dollars for us and now we're going to be able to go for another few more months and um it's and we're doing that over and over and it's surprising that first year i mean for the people who are trying to get full time on the road you know i would 100% recommend that they have some money saved up you know we have an emergency fund that we only had to dip into once and, uh, you know, luckily we followed Dave Ramsey and uh, his preachings of you know, how to save money. And uh, we have that saved, but we've only had to go into it one time. And it's just uh, it's really interesting how things don't go the way that you expect it to go on the road. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, 
what are, what are some other ways that you've been proactive and hustling to try to find clients when you're out on the road? Because I'm assuming talking to a couple other photographers, if you're not going back and kind of keeping that same base of clients in one place, that the hardest part is finding new clients. But I know you've you shot campgrounds, you sent these photos to Airstream, you got their attention by taking some epic photos in different places. You did some shots with a winery. So how have you went about getting some of these new clients? Because I know that from our you know, from our talks at the summit and things like that, you, you are more focused on the creative aspects of the photography and, and not necessarily the business as much. I know you have to be focused on both, but it's like you really yeah. consume yourself with taking the photos and telling the story. I do. Uh, I think the hardest thing for us has been Rhonda was 100% the admin and the emailer of all the jobs that we got for weddings. So I would show up literally that day of the wedding and shoot the wedding. And there were some times where I wouldn't even know the couple's name until like the week before, just because it did, I never had to worry about it, but she would have multiple conversations with them on the road. You know, she's not the person who's going to go out and drum up business. I'm the one who actually goes out there. And, you know, recently we made some contacts with Winnebago uh, because of that R RV summit. But that's what we have to do is, you know, we have to keep reaching out and keep remembering all the people that we meet on the road. I think if you remember that you're meeting all these people for a reason, it allows you to write their numbers down, write their names down, how you met them, um, because you're going to meet so many people on the road that it's going to become a blur really fast. Um, and there's so many great connections that you can make. Anybody who's going to be on the road full-time in the future, uh, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're going to meet more people on the road than you ever did sitting in one place in the city that you're living in now. Um, and you need to write down all those people's names and numbers. Or more realistically, yeah, just like follow them and keep yeah. up with them on Instagram or whatever. Keep up with them. Yeah, totally. Because those will turn into business relationships eventually. Totally. Yeah. Uh, I want to dive into a couple listener questions. Uh, I asked some people in our Facebook group to uh, ping you with some questions because there's a lot of photographers or, um, you know, I guess you'd call them rookie photographers who are looking to, I guess, monetize and, and better document their travel. So uh, I want to yeah. dive into a couple of these questions from the group. Uh, Chris awesome. Bauman asked, what are the best revenue avenues, avenues for photography? Events, stock photos? Um, I will tell you that stock photos is not. Um, and now I have very little play in stock photos and what I've witnessed is I put uh, only a, a few dozen pictures up there, but every time one of my full resolution pictures was downloaded, it was for 25 cents and it kind of just pissed me off. So I just took everything <laughs> off of it and I decided not to go that route. Um, I think that if you're savvy enough to do the stock photo thing and you have a business mindset, it could be really good if you do it on your own. Uh, through your own website and have people reach out to you and say, hey, I want a picture of Grand Teton. Okay, what are you going to use it for? And then go through all the um, stats, uh, magazine, print, web, all that stuff. And if you're business savvy enough, you can make that work. Um, for me, I have found that selling prints uh, actually does really good. Um, but the number one thing that you have to do as a photographer is you have to have a story because anybody can take a picture of a landscape um, if you don't have a story to back it up, then it's just another beautiful picture of Bryce Canyon. Mm. And Bryce Canyon is a beautiful place, but it's very hard to do a unique perspective on that place because it's been shot so many times. 
But if you sold everything you have, hopped into an Airstream, <laughs> and now all your followers are following your story, and you take that exact same picture, well, now that picture has a story behind it. Um, you know, that's what I think photographers need to work on more than anything is their brand and um, having something to go along with pictures. Uh, I bought myself a printer, and I found it more cost-effective to print my own pictures. I'm also running into the fact that ink doesn't always uh, come out the way that it's supposed to, and then you go through more ink than you originally imagined, so the cost does go up. But, you know, that compared to going through Bay Photo or some of these other big companies like Zinfolio and stuff like that, um, it's actually a lot cheaper to have control over your printing and sell them yourselves. And how? And and you've done a decent job of selling some prints through the Giving Print. Yeah, I have. And you know, I didn't mention the Giving Print at the RV Summit, and I, I kind of kicked myself for that. But I'm a creative person, and honestly, creative person, <laughs> creative person, creative people just go through these moments when you doubt yourself, mm. and that's what I was doing at the time. Is I was doubting myself. I had a huge audience that was probably willing to take that concept, grasp it, and I could probably have made a few hundred dollars off of everybody there. But for some reason, I was just doubting myself mm. at the time. And, and I wasn't, I did not get the, um, the encouragement or the motivation at the time to keep it going. It was just self-doubt. And, um, and, and that's the hardest thing is when you're on the road, um, if you're going to be by yourself, Keeping yourself motivated is the hardest thing in, in the world. Um, you have to have somebody who's with you, a spouse or friend or, or somebody who's going to motivate you and push you, who believes in your art, um, and it's, it's just going to make you better. So I, I was just going through some doubt, but the giving print is my little brainchild of me giving to other people, and the way it works is every time you buy a print, you get two, one for yourself and one for you to give to someone else. Um I kind of felt like I was filling the void of people who give don't always get. So they were getting a picture, and then they were giving that same exact picture to somebody else. And I kind of thought that you know, it makes a connection um, so that whoever you gave it to, when they look at that picture, they know you have the same one. Uh, and I actually – I still love the concept. And even just talking about it right here on the podcast, <laughs> get me pumped up again about it. Um, you know, it's not dead. It's just kind of on hiatus right now because my printer is kind of jammed and I'm traveling and shooting a lot of landscapes. Um, so if an order came in anytime soon, I would just find a way to make that printer work. But, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll link up to the giving print in the show notes. I mean, we have one. Uh, Melanie from the RV Entrepreneur Summit, her and her husband gave us one and uh, it's awesome. And it, it's kind of like somebody handing you a book. Uh, you know, and saying, hey, I read this and I thought of you and I wanted you to have it. But instead, they're giving you a photo of a beautiful place and they're saying, hey, this place is amazing or I'm thinking about traveling there or I did travel there and uh, you should definitely travel there one day. It's it's almost the same exact thing. Uh, so I, you're helping facilitate that. It's it's cool, man. Cool. And I would just I would encourage you to stick with that because I think it's a great idea. And I think our generation is um, falling in love with a lot of random retro stuff. Some of it's good, some of it's whatever. But um, yeah. I think we are having a deeper appreciation for print and being able to touch things with our hand because so much of our world is online. Uh, and so I'm just, I have a, I don't, I don't have any data to back that up, but I just have this gut feeling that you know there's people 
are getting more and more value out of print and appreciating it. I see, you know, you see it in Polaroids popping up again and things like that, you yeah. know? Totally, yeah. Thanks. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, totally, man. Uh, going back to the motivation element, you and I talked about this a little yeah. bit, but I want to go a little bit deeper there. Uh, how how have you found ways to motivate yourself while out traveling? Because I've struggled with this too. Um, you and I both are fans. Uh, we'll listen to some Gary Vee sometimes. Some of his stuff I, I really like. Some of it I'm like, man, I appreciate what he's saying there, but also I, I, uh, you know, like I, I need more balance in my life. You know, I'm not him, but I appreciate the motivational elements of that too. Um, right. So how, I mean, outside of, outside of, you know, watching some YouTube videos, getting pumped up in the morning, how have you went about staying motivated to keep taking incredible photos and, you know, keep moving forward in your business and in your photography? Uh, the number one thing that I do is, because I travel full-time, I'm always going to these amazing places. So I put on some running shoes, and I go run. Um, for me, running is kind of my muse. It's where I am closest to God in my life. And uh, when I run, I feel like I can't do anything wrong. In fact, I equate running to life itself and business itself. And I have all these thoughts going through my head. Like One that almost happens every single time I run is, oh, here I am. Starting out slow. I'm going on a really big run. I'm not sprinting. I'm not trying to do it as fast as I can. I'm just going slow. And I'm slowly getting faster and faster and faster. And if I would start my businesses the way I run, they would be hugely successful because I'm always sprinting in my businesses. Mm. So anyways, running gets me deep into thought. And I... I've always thought I should do a running vlog. So after <laughs> I finish running, I go into deep thought and I share it with everybody. I did like three of those and I, <laughs> I didn't get any views on them. So I just kind of stopped on it. But anyways, uh, running is my thing. Um, another thing that I do, uh, and by the way, running also gets me away from all the chaos of my family. Like I, I love my family so much, but we're with each other 24 hours a day. Yeah, um, And that's one realization you're going to find being on the road full time is that you're always with your spouse, always with your family, and you have to have time apart. And running allows me to do that. Um, and the second thing I do is I put on some Chris Stapleton in my ears. <laughs> I go out with a macro lens and I look at the world completely different and I shoot macro photos um, because I do so much stuff. With my 35 and with my 7200 uh, 2.8 VR2, for all you uh, techies out there, uh, I, I shoot Nikon. But uh, shooting macros just makes you think completely different. And it kind of brings a whole new creative element into your photography. And before you know it, the stuff that you're shooting in macro looks more like art than it does landscapes or anything else like that. So that's another thing that really motivates me a lot. Um, Man, I should try to combine the two, running and macro photography with some Chris Stapleton. Um, my world might implode, but it might be worth a shot to try that out. That sounds hilarious. Uh, what is that movie with uh, Jim Carrey where he is a running photographer? Or he's like taking a running photographer. I don't know if it's Jim Carrey. Like Ace Ventura or something No, like it's not or... Ace Ventura. I'm drawing a complete blank. There is a movie where somebody has a lot of Red Bull and then they go take a running photographer. Anyway. Um, ah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I'm talking about? That is, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And it has know. that girl in it, um, that, 
Anyway, Zoe, yeah. Zoe Deschanel, maybe. Zoe, anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah I totally blank because we started getting down the running photography. Yeah, we're talking about uh, motivation. So this is going to be a dumb question um, because I'm a complete photography noob, but what is macro? Uh, macro is just uh, the ability of your lens to get really close to something uh, and be in focus. Okay. Uh, there's only special lenses that do that. You can't do it with every lens. Okay. What is uh, – what what has been your favorite photo that you've taken since being on the road in the airstream? Oh man, um, or just one of them doesn't have to be the favorite photo. Well, I'm looking at two right now, right in front of my face, uh, that are up on my wall. One is of El Capitan at night during the blood moon, um, and that one happened just by pure luck. We were in Yosemite, um, and my wife had mentioned there was going to be a blood moon, and I was out there with a really wide lens because all the other photographers had telephoto lenses. Uh, and I said, well, I'm not going to do what they're doing. <laughs> and uh, and I turned my camera around on my tripod. I saw El Capitan there and all of its glory with Milky Way behind it. And uh, I took the picture, got it in focus. And I mean, I, I don't know if that shot can be replicated because the blood moon only put out so much light. And it's a lot less than a regular moon would. So, you know... I can't wait to go back there again and try it again. But anyways, that was one of them. And the other one is a shot that I call He Is Risen. And it was taken outside of Yosemite when I was leaving it. And I told my wife, um, we were planning on going to the sunrise service for Easter, which is just in a few days, I think. And it's funny, I'm talking about this now. (laughs) But I didn't want to be in a crowded place for Easter. So I said, if God wants to give me a sunset, he will. And uh, let's hit the road. And like an hour down the road, I saw this amazing sunset. And then I just happened to stop right in front of this barn. And it ended up being an absolutely breathtaking shot with a fiery sky. And I mean, like if there ever was a clear message, that was it. And um, But yeah, the, those are my two favorite photos, I would think. I, I, I mean, I'm looking at some of your photos right now. One of the Airstream on a road. And there's just a bunch of mountains off in the distance and yeah. it's driving away. And there's another one of the RV in front of what looks like Big Bend, Big Bend National Park, but it could be somewhere else. I'm not sure. Um, it's just got the red, gorgeous mountains in the background. And one I know very little about photography just from, you know, conversations with you, though. Uh, something that I'm always amazed by is just the crazy amount of uh in, I'm trying to think of the right word here, just intention that goes into each pho- photograph, like how much sacrifice and thoughtfulness uh, and preparation that you've had to have, not only from a skill being built up, but, uh, you know, the conversations with Rhonda, and she tells me that, half, you know, not half the time, but several times, it's not uncommon for her to wake up in the middle of the night and be like, oh, where's Joe? You know, he woke up in the middle of the night and, you know, wanted to go take photos. And, you know, there's not many people that would be willing to go out and sit in random places in the middle of nowhere. So, can you talk a little bit about just the crazy amount of not necessarily sacrifice for you, but just intentionality that has to go into getting some of these photos? Oh, it is crazy. Uh, I mean, today was one of the first days I went out with just a camera and a 35 millimeter lens and it felt wonderful. Uh, most of the time what I'm doing. so like for those night photos, what I do is I get up in the middle and I go to the bathroom and as I go to the bathroom, I pass these, skylights that are in my airstream and i always look out them and i also have a skylight right above me and if i see the stars are out and there's no moon out it haunts me when i go back to sleep and i sit there (laughs) 
like 30 minutes thinking, oh, should I get up and go out and do this? It's kind of cold outside. I think it's 25 degrees outside. I don't want to go outside, but I end up getting up, uh, going outside with my tripod, taking the picture. And, you know, it takes me 25, 30 minutes because I'm already close to where I need to be because I'm out there boondocking. And, uh, and I take the picture. Um, a lot of times when I go hiking, what sucks about what I do is that I'm carrying a full camera bag of everything I have just in case. Um, and everything I bring is just in case. 90% of the time, I'm not going to need any of it. But I have a tripod. I have three lenses. For all the photographers, I'll go through it all. A 7200 2.8. A 14 to 24 2.8, a 35 millimeter, uh, two cameras just in case one goes down. I have a leaf filter system with uh, graduated filters um, that have different densities. I have uh, my tripod that I take with me. It's an enduro tripod, carbon fiber, but it's still kind of heavy because it's a beefy uh, tripod. And I use an F-stop uh enduro bag wait enduro something like that i can't think of it but it's an f-stop bag it's big um so man and then i usually have gloves and food and water and all that stuff extra batteries um (laughs) i mean the list goes on and i'm carrying that on every single hike and what makes it even crazier is that sometimes my my five-year-old gets a little tired on these long hikes that we go on because he does a lot of them with me and i have to put him on my shoulders too um so not only am i carrying 45 50 pounds of camera gear i'm carrying you know 38 40 pounds of him also with me um and and, you know there's sometimes it's uphill on a gradual not a gradual but a steep slope and um i mean it's just like the other day i was in zion national park hiking with some friends i have a little bit of a fear of heights but i have this camera bag on me i don't have all my gear in it but that camera bag gets heavy, and I went up to Angel's Landing, and I could not hike the whole entire thing because it just offsets your body. So it's something you have to get used to. But you, you know, I'm used to taking it everywhere, and I'm trying to figure out a way that I don't have to do that. Um, but I tell you what, those times when the moment's right, I'm so glad that I have everything on my back. You know, it doesn't happen often, but when it does. It's pretty amazing, and you definitely don't regret it. Do you have a, a favorite uh, lens setup and camera combo for taking photos of the airstream in front to in front of you know mountains or beautiful landscapes? Because I'm imagining if there's anything that uh, you know a layman photographer such as myself could could try to replicate, it'd be something along the line, you know, getting up golden hour or something like that in the RV being in a really pretty place. Um, what type of, do you typically go with a wider lens during those times? And, you know, what are some common, you know, if people want to take photos of their RV in really cool places, what are, would be some good advice that you'd have for them? Yeah, I would say get away from the wide lens as much as possible on, okay. on those situations. Yeah, ter- yeah so uh, bad advice on my part. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Go ahead. No, that, that's totally <laughs> Um you know, and that's probably what a lot of people would think. But the first thing I do is I pull out my 70 to 200 on my Nikon D750. Um, and, and that's the only camera I have. I have two of them. And uh, just in case one goes down. But the first thing I start doing is I start walking away from the Airstream as far as I can. Um, if you're in a place like Big Bend or Grand Tetons or uh, somewhere like that that has huge mountains around it, 
you want to get as far away from your airstream as you can and um and compress all those mountains into the shot because they're going to look so much larger. Uh, if you have a wide lens, those mountains are going to look a lot smaller because uh, you're probably going to be a lot closer to your airstream also. Uh, you know, if you're far away, your airstream would be small. But yeah, that's my go-to, 7200 uh, lens with a 2.8 aperture um, just to make the airstream stick out more with the mountains in the background. I mean, it looks amazing every single time. If if you could give one just general tip to, to somebody who's listening to help them become a better photographer in any capacity, whether it's trying to find you know a better story in the photo, uh, what camera gear to use, you know, what would be that one kind of blanket tip that you could give that said, you know, like if you go do this, you'll become a better photographer. Um, what I want to do more than anything is motivate other photographers to find out what it is they love. So what I would say is go out and shoot all the time. You shoot as much as you can. Um, you know, take – if you don't want to carry all the equipment that I carry, don't. Just take the lenses that you want to take. Um, but as you're out there shooting, find the things that drive you, that you want to get up in the middle of the night to shoot or that you um, can't wait to get there. Like if it's a lifestyle session or if it's your friend on the edge of a cliff – or something like that, hiking or climbing or running, whatever it is that drives you to get out there and take more pictures and you don't get tired of it, just focus on that. Um, you know, I, I understand that there's money in weddings and I understand there's money in landscapes if you do it right. But there's, in all reality, there's money in anything you do as long as you're passionate about it, you have that story behind you and you do it all the time. I, if you're the guy that's out there killing it and it, let's say you, you just like to shoot trees, trees just bring a passion to you. Like, like oh, there's these redwood trees and there's these <laughs> um, mesquite trees and there's all these different trees. But that's what you shoot and that's what you love to shoot. I mean, go shoot trees. Have fun with it. Um, you're you're going to be known as the tree photographer. It's, it's super hard to be known as the landscape photographer. I mean, because there's a million of them out there. What's going to make that person stand out so whatever it is that you're shooting or doing in life and you absolutely love it but everybody else tells you that you're not going to make money of from it you know just say screw them and go after the things that you love because it's going to bring you joy and in the long run when you're going full-time uh around america for a whole entire year you want to be enjoying it and you want to be having fun and even if it's little money I mean, it's, you're still going to find a way to make it happen. I mean, what is, on that note, what has been the biggest uh, thing that you've gained? Because the trade-off obviously is pretty clear. Uh, you're getting paid, you know, top dollar for weddings in Nashville, really respected. And that business has taken a dip. But what have you gotten in return from traveling with Rhonda and Austin and, and going around the country in the Airstream? Dude, seeing all these amazing places with them, with my family – has been the most rewarding thing ever. Like, I mean, if all this ends tomorrow or next week, you know, it'll be sad, but I'll have so many memories from this one year that I did or 15 months that we've been out that it'll last a lot. I know I'll be talking about it for the rest of my life. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, 10, 20 years from now, I'll be like, hey, remember <laughs> when we bought that Airstream and we went out? Everybody thought we were crazy, but... And we lived life then, didn't we? <laughs> you know? I mean, uh, there's no doubt 
that'll all that story will always be with us. Yeah, I love that. And uh, did I see that Austin became? Is he doing like a the Junior Ranger thing? Dude, he he has about forty one badges now. That's insane. That means he's he's been to like twenty something national parks. And he's been to national monuments, and there's some from state parks and others. But I mean, that boy's learned so much on this trip. Um, you know, it's crazy because yeah, when you think about it, he's almost spent half of his life on the road, almost. <laughs> and so when he sees magnificent mountains like the Grand Tetons, he's like, eh, you know, that's cool. But you know, I've seen the Grand Canyon. I've seen that. I mean, like he's seen all, all, so much other. Like, what do you compare it to? I mean, he's already seen so much. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. Yeah, that's insane. Um, the last question I have for you, Joe. I ask this in each episode, but what does success look like for you in this lifestyle? As you guys are going around, you're shooting amazing photography, traveling with your family in the airstream. What does success look like for you? Success is not being stressed about the things that you're doing. So just to expand on it a little bit, you know, if you can travel full time uh, or stay home or wherever you are and love what you're doing and not be stressed about it, that's success in my mind. I love that, man. Well, where can people learn more about you and uh, hook up with you online? Guys, you can uh, see me at joehendricks.com. If you ever have any questions about full-time life or photography, email me at joe at joehendricks.com. Uh, I go through all my emails, and um, you know I uh, answer them as quickly as I can. But sometimes I'm out in the middle of nowhere with no internet. It could be about a week before I get back to you. But uh, seriously, if you're thinking about doing this full-time and you want an honest answer from a photographer who's out here making it happen, you know, hit me up. Awesome. I love it. And side note, I just want to give you a little plug. You did your first night photography workshop at the RV Entrepreneur Summit and it sold yeah. out it sold out both nights and you killed it and you never done that before. And I think we had total there was like thirty people in each class each night, right? Uh something like something that. Something like yeah, <laughs> I mean it, it was a huge amount. You'd never done it. So first of all, thank you. Secondly, I know that you just hosted your first night photography class outside of that uh, on your own in Moab, Utah, and had five people come to that. So I know as you're bouncing around, if anyone who's listening wants to go out and take landscape photography classes, night photography classes with Joe, follow him around some of these really cool places, uh, we'll link up to some of his upcoming workshops uh, where you're doing that and where you're going to be so people can find you. Well, thanks, dude. I'll make sure I get that list out there as soon as possible, too. (laughs) Sounds good. Thanks, Joe. (laughs) Thank you, Heath. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to grab the show notes on this episode, head on over to our website at heathandalyssa.com and go to podcast. Thanks again to WeBoost for sponsoring today's show. I'll see you guys next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.